Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Spark. We tell true stories. We tell them live. And we tell them across the UK. This story was told by Miranda at the Harris Girls Academy Literary Festival. When the theme was feasts. Uh, so this story comes from when I lived in Berlin for um, six months a few years ago. I just decided to leave my job and um, have fun for six months, but that's another story. Anyway, um, as part of that time, I was a language student, so um, this happened when I was on my way home from class. I'm on my way home from language class, I said, and I'm thinking about food. I'm hungry because my lunch five hours ago consisted of a hastily stuffed down pickled gherkin as I rushed out the house, running late as usual. I'm fantasizing about buying a bretzel from Bully's Bakery in Neukölln, not only because they do the best bretzels around, but also because they have an unnaturally cute bulldog who lives in the shop. And as usual, I change trains at Hermannplatz, and I go down from the U8 to the U7, down a set of stairs, and at the bottom of the stairs, I see a man wearing a bright blue top, bright brown trousers, his nose is round and red, his hair is white and shaggy, he looks like a cartoon. And this man is sort of rooting in the plastic bins that they have at the bottom of the stairs as if he's lost something. And I realize that actually He's looking for food. I see him reach down and pull out a plastic tumbler of what must be the remainder of someone's iced coffee in it and look like he's won a prize. It's three minutes to my train and I watch the man shuffle off from the bin and move towards another one at the end of the platform. And I look around and it seems like I'm the only person who can see him. And the way that he moves so slowly, almost dazed, makes him seem that he's not quite from this world. I watch him for a bit, and I see that he is doing systematically bin to bin, looking for food, and I think, maybe I'll just buy him a sandwich. 
There's a shop on the platform. And I sort of move towards the shop, and then I hesitate. And I think, is it really, is it really my problem? Am I really the one who has to do this? But as I said, it's like he's invisible. No one else can see him. Two minutes to my train. I decide, OK, I'm going to buy him the sandwich. I walk up to the stall, and the woman asks me, do I want cheese or ham? And I have no idea. Is he a vegetarian? Maybe he's lactose intolerant. All of these things are going through my head. And it's one minute into my train, so I opt for cheese. OK. She wraps it up, and I can smell the bread as fresh and warm, and it's hugely appetizing. All I've got to do is pay her the money, find my man, I'm on my train, and gone. I turn around, the man has vanished. He was not moving fast enough to be able to shuffle up the stairs at the corner of the platform. Is he hiding somewhere? I'm looking around. My train pulls up. There's another one in four minutes. It doesn't matter. I search for him on the platform, and he has completely disappeared. And I'm left with a sandwich. And I'm thinking, what do I do with this sandwich now? Can I just give it to someone else? I look around for a worthy recipient. And there's a couple of people who look a bit sad. There's a woman who's got a black eye, but she doesn't look homeless. And you can't just go around thrusting sandwiches at people. I'm sort of standing there, consumed with this strange middle-class guilt. I really want to give my sandwich away, but am I just doing this for me now? And my train comes, and I think, OK, I'm going to get the train to my station, it's only one station away, I'll find someone there to give it to, because there are quite a lot of homeless people who live there. And I get on the train, and it's quite busy, strangely, for, for a lunchtime train. I can just smell this sandwich, and I start to think, should I eat the sandwich? But for some reason, I'm not hungry anymore. And my head is all full of this, like, how do I broach this with someone? Hey, how are you? Do you want a sandwich? No, no worries. Um, just embarrassing thoughts, really. And I get off the train at my station in Rahas And I think, if I hadn't hesitated on the platform, if I'd have just done what I thought I was going to do, what I should have done, bought the sandwich, given it to the man, then he wouldn't be shuffling off somewhere, looking in bins for food, and he would have had a meal. And I'm feeling pretty bad about this when I look up, and there he is on the platform that I've just come into, moving towards the train that I've just got off. And it strikes me that he goes from train station to train station on this network, searching for food. And that just stops me dead for a second until I think, no, I found him. I'm going to give him this sandwich. So I like, sort of shuffle my way down the platform, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, and get to the train doors that he is standing right at the edge of. They're just about to close. I take the sandwich. I push it towards the man's hands, and I say, das ist für ihnen, using the polite form of you that you might use to show respect for your elders. I deploy it grammatically incorrectly, but with good intentions. And he 
looks down at the sandwich and he looks up at me and his eyes are pretty unfocused, green. It's like looking at someone through a waterfall. And then I see the moment of recognition. He realize, realizes that somebody has given this food to him. Sorry. And his eyes meet mine, and the doors of the train close, and the train pulls off, and I spend the next half an hour weeping at the power of this connection with that one person, which makes me feel happy and sad and like I've had a small heart attack. But all I have done is be kind. That was Miranda. Next up, Ben, with another story about feasts. How lucky was I to be invited to dinner by Professor Erasmus von Schottenfels, world authority social anthropologist and ethnologist. Now, me and 20 other students at his house. He was a strange man. He had been known to spend many years in the Amazonian rainforest and too long out in the midday sun. And as the evening wound down, he turned to me and he said, would you like a surprise? Well, I was young, I was naive. I said, of course, what could you possibly surprise me with, Professor? So he left the room and he came back in again and he threw something at me. And I caught it without really looking at what it was, but it fitted into my hands very nicely. And I remember how soft the texture was. And I looked down and I saw black curly hair. And then I thought, have the eyes been stitched shut? And the mouth too. And I thought, my God, it's a shrunken skull. And I was just about to give it back to him when I heard a voice somewhere deep in my unconscious which said, please help me. And I was shaking by this stage and I handed it back to him and I went straight home. When I got home, I rang my brother who had something in common with Professor von Schottenfels because my brother has also spent too much time in the midday sun. And I said to my brother what had happened and he said, well, hmm, I'm afraid it's bad news. The spirit of the human being who is attached to the body of the head has not achieved release and is still attached to that skull. Was it a man or a woman? And I said, I think it was a woman. And he said, well, she felt you were sympathetic and she's crying out for help. And I thought, oh my God, what's gonna happen now? And he said, don't worry. She'll come to you in a dream. That's exactly what I thought. I mean, I'm the guy who is too scared to take his children to Casper the Friendly Ghost. And now here I am facing dreams from a ghost. So for about three weeks, I could not sleep. I lay in bed, not letting myself fall asleep, and nothing happened. And after three weeks, I let my guard down, and I did fall asleep. And that is when it happened. In the middle of the night, in a semi-dream, I heard shouting. 
And I looked out the window, and there was a crowd of people, maybe 50 people, and they were looking up at the night sky, and they were shouting, and they had pitchforks, and they were throwing stones. And I thought, what the hell's going on? And on the ground, there was a silver thread or rope, and it went up like this into the heavens. And I followed it up with my eye, and about 30 feet up, there was a creature wrapped around the rope like this. And I looked at it, and it was sort of half woman, half vampire bat. And I froze with fear, and it turned, and this gnarled face looked at me, and it said, please help me. And I woke up, and I immediately rang my brother. I wasn't even worried if he hadn't fa finished his game of morning chess with his friend Larry, his Labrador. <laughs> and I said to him what had happened. And he said, yes, I'm afraid that's bound to happen. But the interesting thing is you were terrified. That crowd was terrified. It's because we're terrified of what we don't understand. That was a perfectly normal spirit trying to achieve release, looking for help. But no one else knew what it was. We we automatically fear these things. So I said, what's going to happen next? And he said, oh, you'll have more dreams. Great, I thought. But don't worry, they probably won't be scary. And sure enough, the next night, I dream I'm walking along a path. And on the side of the path, there's a muddy field. And in that field, there are about 10 partridges. And they all fly away. And then there's one partridge left whose feet are stuck in the mud. And this partridge is bright silver. And the next night, I dreamed that I was walking along a beach. And the ocean was on one side, and there was a little rock pool on the other side with a rivulet of water between the two. And there were 10 mackerel swimming around in this pool. And they all swam down this little stream and out to sea. And one fish was left behind bright silver. So I told my brother about this, and he said, well, the thing is, in the astral dimension, silver is very significant. And I said, well, this is all marvelous, you know, but how are we going to sort this out? I've got the rest of my life to lead. I don't need to be haunted by this poor woman's ghost. And he said, leave it to me. Now, he lived 100 miles away from the professor's house with the shrunken head. And he said, don't worry, tonight, I will astrally project myself from my bedroom and I will go to that house and I will separate the shrunken head from the spirit and I'll solve the problem. I said, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> and I went to bed that night and I slept very well. And I woke up in the morning and the phone was ringing. And I said, hi, what news? And he said, hmm, I failed. I said, you failed, but I slept really well last night. And he said, well... I flew up into the air, but I turned left at Tottenham Court Road and instead of going straight on, and I got lost. <laughs> well, that's a lot of use, I said. But, and this is where he got really weird, he said, in spirituality and the occult, which is what he studied, there is a spiritual being called a Nirmanakaya, which hovers over Britain. And it's currently the spirit of the poet Robert Browning. And I hope you noticed how elegantly I worked a literal reference into this evening. But that apparently is true. And he said to the poet, there's this problem, go and deal with it. 
and apparently Robert Browning spirit hurled a thunderbolt down from the heavens and exploded the bonds between the shrunken head and the spirit and the woman was released. Now the spirit of the evening is obviously telling true stories. What is truth? I don't know. I have recounted exactly what happened. But what I do know is next time you're having dinner and enjoying a feast and your host suggests you have a little surprise at the end of the evening, do think very carefully. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Spark True Stories. If you love what we do, please help us spread the word by leaving us a review on iTunes. For more true stories and to see a live event, head to stories.co.uk.